0: This is Beat the Closing Line.
1: Back on Beat the Closing Line, presented by TheLines.com. It is the NFL Draft Edition of Beat the Closing Line. As the draft is just two days away, we're recording here on Tuesday. The guest to my right, I'll introduce in just a moment a very special guest. But before we get started, remember to like, give the video a thumbs up, and ring the bell to get notifications whenever The Lines releases a new sports betting video on any market, including... The NFL Draft. Also be sure to follow the lines on Twitter at the lines U.S You can follow my Twitter handle as it says on the screen. And my guest, Ian Valentino at NFL Film Study on Twitter. He writes about the NFL Draft, talks about it for Pro Football Network, also works with our sister site Gaming Today. What's going on today, Ian? Just a couple days
0: away. Yeah, man, it's it feels like this week has been just like crazy already. <laughs> I know we're gonna talk about some of that stuff. Um, it's a it's a fun draft. It's a lot of unknowns, and these are kind of like the best drafts because so much happens at the last minute. Um, you know, are we gonna get like a Laramie Tunsil situation? I feel like that's the only thing that like we're waiting on here. Um, are we getting another Baker Mayfield situation where you know we didn't find out that it was gonna be Baker Mayfield going number one to the Browns until I think it was like that morning of the draft. So I'm just kind of waiting for like the shoe to drop. We've kind of gotten uh, a little bit of a tease that maybe something could be happening. But, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about that here shortly.
1: Yeah, maybe someone, a reporter, will get woged after what happened in the NBA draft with his Paulo Banquero reporting. But Ian, it's your first time on Beat the Closing Line, first time on the Lions podcast network. So I want the... Listener, audience, to get familiar with you, how did you get started evaluating not only draft prospects, but just going about your NFL process, college football history of looking into whether it be quarterbacks or an offensive skill position player, whoever it may be. How did you get started evaluating football players essentially?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think my story is probably similar to a lot of people in my age range, and it was growing up watching the draft. Um, obviously, loving just to watch football all day on Saturdays, uh, but you know, watching Mel Kiper and just kind of falling in love. I remember, like, I was a kid. I can't remember exactly how old I was. I was, you know, not even in high school yet. But I remember watching like the draft and like, I would just sit there and like write down every single pick all weekend long when it was Saturday and Sunday and it got to like the seventh round and there was Marcus Colston. And I remember Marcus Colston. Uh, so the Saints picked him late, had a great career. But like I remember watching an all-star game a couple months before and he made like a great catch. and I was like, wow, like that name really stuck with me. And then I saw he was drafted and he ended up having a really good career. And it just kind of sparked like this interest in me to be like, wow, like I think that'd be so cool to do like as a scout, these guys. And then like, you end up hitting on them. Like, what a cool feeling um, that you were a fan of that guy. And he ended up having, you know, this, this whether it's solid or, you know, great career, whatever it is, it's like he beat the odds. And so it was kind of inspiring. And so when I went to, to school, um, I went to a small private school in uh, in Ohio and then ended up working for University of Houston. And I got involved with both football programs. And I think just working with those coaching staffs and then working with Bleach Report, and then a couple of you know many other sites in between then and and then now, um, just kind of growing a process to evaluate talent and evaluate guys in like a way that I thought could be effective. And a lot of the time that meant throwing stuff against the wall. And I think for the last five years I've been uh, charting quarterbacks, all the major quarterback prospects um, for their catchable pass rate. So just like accuracy, but being pretty strict. Like if the ball doesn't hit the guy in the hands or like in the body, it's not really catchable. And so I've used that and to aggregate like a big database to basically say like, does the film, what I see match the numbers? And if it doesn't, what does that mean? And just, it's ended up being a pretty effective tool um, for myself to use and to kind of cross reference. And if nothing else, it's entertaining to, to kind of see. Um, but I've tried to evolve and, and just try to look at things that, in a way that. Um, I've, I've scouted a lot of NFL. I've scouted a lot of college guys. I've done multiple draft guides. Um, haven't done them in a couple of years because it's such a grind. Um, uh, but I love doing it and I fell in love with the grind of evaluation.
1: And let's get started here with the big draft movement in terms of the betting market. Will Levis, his odds were as high as 50 to one to go. Number one overall to the Carolina Panthers yesterday as in Monday as we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon. It got as short as plus 175 over at PointsBet Sportsbook on Tuesday morning as of a couple hours ago in terms of the recording, but it's now at plus 600 at PointsBet, as low as plus 400 at Caesars, and the high point, I believe, is plus 800 on DraftKings. Now, Bryce Young is still the odds-on favorite, of course, to go number one overall, the Alabama product, but what do you make of the market movement? For the number one overall pick, Ian, and how did you scout and how have you evaluated these two quarterback prospects and the fit with the Panthers, too, in general?
0: Yeah, I I look at Levis's market as almost a good teaching point for like the sports betting crowd, and we're getting a lot more states. Obviously, it's, it's legalized now, so I think we're starting to see the impact of social media the impact of outside voices and reporting um, on these markets. And this is an opportunity, as we've seen, there was like a bizarre Reddit post um, that someone was claiming that like their friend or someone had uh, heard that Levis knew he was going number one overall or going, you know. So it's like you start to see these things and then like that leads to a little bit of action or it's like, you know, people just taking the long shot. And everyone wants to hit that big parlay. Everyone wants to, you know, end up on VR gaming or, you know, gaming today or, you know, the lines or, you know, whatever. As like, oh, you know, I bet five bucks on Levis at plus four thousand, you know, way back when, and I, you know, made whatever. I think that's affecting the market. And I think that sportsbooks are looking at the liability of what they owe on Bryce Young now that he is the overwhelming favorite. Um, anyone that may have picked him up early because C.J. Stroud was the overwhelming favorite for there for a small time. I think this is just sports books taking advantage of any chance that they can to take some suckers bets. And it's nothing against Levis. He could be the number one pick, sure. We don't know until we know. It just doesn't seem like that's been the messaging from the Panthers the entire time. Frank Reich has been extremely transparent about not equating height or arm strength or things that he's been associated with in the past uh, for that pick and for this player. And also he's been transparent, too, to say he's not going to upend what the franchise wants to do. He's going to make his claim for who he'd like to take, but if they take a different player or if they want a different player, he's not going to rock the boat. So uh, they have a very aggressive owner in Carolina, David Tepper. Uh, He's chased after very similar quarterbacks as Bryce Young. He went after Deshaun Watson. I think it just makes a lot of sense. Everything kind of points towards Young. This just feels like a late push for people to try to get a long shot in. Um, And so I think you look at the talent of Levis, You know, I think each of these four guys kind of has their own case, right? Like he is very much someone that a traditional scout would look at. And you can see it with him because it's easy. He's very easy to scout. He was underneath center two years at Kentucky after playing at Penn State. When he was at Penn State, he was a rushing quarterback. He was a change of pace guy who would come in and just run all over the place. So, you know, he's a good athlete. You go to Kentucky film. He's working underneath the center. He's dropping back, resetting his eyes. He's got the strong arm. Like everything with him is so easy to see and obvious, that I think that that is something that almost, uh, if you look historically at the position, like the NFL likes those guys. They don't want to make a huge projection. They don't like watching Patrick Mahomes going all over the field, side arming passes like five, you know 50 yards down the field. Sure. I mean, they liked him obviously enough to take him in the first round, but like they generally like these guys to be very within a box And that's kind of changed over the last five years. You know, again, Bryce Young could go number one. That's certainly outside the box. Uh, But there's still going to be a contingency of of, uh, evaluators that like how Levis plays. And I think he's a solid player. He's like Ryan Tannehill, Derek Carr. I think the upside there is that he's like Justin Herbert. I think that's the case for him. Where if you looked at Herbert at Oregon, similar case. The offense was restricted because of the scheme that they had. Uh, They kind of had to pare things down because their supporting cast was pretty weak. And they tried to grind out games and then they would ask the quarterback to make a couple impact plays a game. And whether that happened or didn't it, you know, we as people in general and then also evaluators, we tend to uh, take very small samples and make them probably too big of a deal sometimes, whether it goes right or wrong. Um, it could be a matter of like five plays in a season that swung people's opinions negatively on Levis, whereas it very well could have gone the other way if he just had simply better teammates. And so I think he's an intriguing prospect. I do think there is a case for him to be the next Herbert. Uh, I missed on Herbert. He was a really dynamic player as a, as a sophomore, became less so as he advanced throughout his career. Levis was better in 2021 than 2022. Um, so I think that you're going to make, the if you're going to make the case for him, that's the case, is that we're going to put him in a healthier ecosystem. He's going to be blocked better. He's very good under pressure. Um, There's decision-making issues and there are accuracy issues. He's really muscled up. Like he reminds me of Brady Quinn. Brady Quinn never could throw the ball accurately because he was so just massive. Like his upper body was rocked. Dude never left the gym. And Levis kind of has that same feel about him. Um, and so I think that's a concern is like, can he actually become a very accurate player? Maybe not. Maybe he could just make big plays and make up for it, but it's a tough balancing act. And I think that that's where you rely on the things that we as a public don't have access to it's interviews with the coaching staff, with Levis, um, you know, even just talking with people around him with his works, work habits and stuff like that. So I think he's a good player. I think he's a first round caliber quarterback. Um, you know, would I take him? You know, number one, no, I wouldn't. I get the why a team would take him because you're taking him to say, okay, he's probably going to be average. If he's better than average, then we, we absolutely hit a home run. If he's not, eh, I mean, he's not the worst player ever. It's not like, you know, it's not like we watched Zach Wilson, like Zach Wilson to me was not a good player. So it's like, I can understand selling yourself on love as compared to like Zach Wilson, when like, that's something that the NFL is very prone to do.
1: Good tease there. We'll get to. Maybe not Zach Wilson in particular, but the Jets and the trade now being official for Aaron Rodgers. But back to your original point, Ian, and great breakdown, of course, between the two quarterbacks. But with Levis and the market movement, the other thing to keep in mind with the market, especially with some sports books, is the limits are so low that, yes, the odds may change. And like you mentioned, you get $5 down here, you get $10 down here, especially for bettors that have had success with draft betting in the past, some books will often limit those betters. Now, you look at a book like Circus Sports in Las Vegas, I believe their limit on NFL draft bets for any market is four figures. So it's much different for a book like that, that may move a number based on a large bet versus, I think Caesars has some higher limits, and not trying to call out any book or anything like that, but just stating the case that, notably... Books don't want to get beat on a market like this because the intel isn't there on their side, just like what happened in the NFL or NBA draft with Paolo Banquero and how his number one overall pick got shifted in a big way. And then all of a sudden, the reporters were aligned with that minutes up until the pick. But Ian, let's shift over to the number two overall pick for the Houston Texans, As at Circus Sports, where I mentioned the limits are a bit higher, Levis is plus 130, so the favorite to go number two to Houston. Tyree Wilson is plus 270. Will Anderson right behind him at plus 280, so just a 10-cent difference. CJ Stroud next up at plus 300. And then Bryce Young, if he didn't go number one overall, is plus 700. So I know you have a bet on this market, if you don't mind, sharing your reasoning behind it. And I don't want to give it away necessarily, but if it isn't that style of personnel, which quarterback, maybe I did kind of give it away there, but which quarterback do you see being taken at number two overall?
0: Yeah, this is the fascinating one. And I think, you know, I think it was uh, um, Jay uh, Jay from Fox Sports. Laser, yeah. Jay Glazer, yeah, I mean, he talked about it, I think it was last night, Monday night, where he was like, you know, people just don't know and about Houston and what they want to do. Then this is what Houston's done. They are a wild card, and some of that's for a bad reason, because they are prone to doing some things that are just not traditional. And I don't think that's a bad thing, but I think that some of the picks, how they've turned out, have been not necessarily favorable, like Derek Stingley over Sauce Gardner. Um, it's just it didn't work out in their favor, at least it hasn't so far. Maybe it will later, but... They are a team that's tough to peg because they are unpredictable. But also, I think they've done a good job. Like They've kept people guessing. I, I think they very much wanted Bryce Young. Some of this could be a little bit of a smokescreen to bait the Colts to move up. Uh, say, hey, look, if you love Will lovis well, we love Will lovis So maybe you should trade with us. And I, I very much believe that. And I, I also buy into the reports a little bit that it's possible that they don't feel pressured to take a quarterback here. They might as well, they may look at this and say, we might want Hendon Hooker day two, or maybe maybe even at you know number 12 overall. It's hard to know. Like I have a hard time believing that they didn't fall in love with one of the four quarterbacks who they're gonna probably be able to see either at number two, or maybe the one or two that they might see at number 12. I have a hard time believing that. It's possible. Maybe they wait till next year uh, to take their quarterback. That's possible too, probably less likely, but somewhat possible. You can't guarantee, especially from a franchise that's fired their head coach in two straight seasons, uh, that they're going to give D'Amico Ryans anything more than a season. I think they will and they should, but you just don't know. And generally front offices do operate like that, where they don't operate as if they have security, because generally owners don't like going through three rebuilding seasons. So I think there's a lot of factors here. It's a very, very... uh, complicated situation and they've done a great job holding things close to their chest. And so to me, their market is fascinating. I think I would not be surprised if they don't love Levis. I think Levis is more of a a late smokescreen. I think he's someone that teams like, however, it's going to be very team dependent. And as we get down into like the top, you know, or I should say the picks like four through seven ish range, Some of those teams have dysfunctional front offices or split front offices too. And so I think a lot of the noise, what we hear, a lot of it is true. It just depends on like what that source is. And so for me looking at number two, I'm not buying that it's going to be Will Levis. So if I'm going to be betting on this and I did, I did place a bet on this. I'm looking at Tyree Wilson to go number two, uh, because I do think that the earlier talk, the earlier chatter, I think was probably more accurate. And generally the closer we get to the draft. I do think it's pretty fair to say, like, at this point, it is usually smokescreen season. I think it is a little bit more influencing uh, what other teams might expect you to do. I think the earlier talk is usually more accurate. And the earlier talk was that they were going to be looking towards taking a defender and waiting until number 12 or potentially trading up from that number 12 pick to take either Anthony Richardson or C.J. Stroud, whoever's end that ends up falling. Uh, if one of them even ends up falling, it's possible that neither of them do. So I think they're comfortable with where they are. It's a little bit of a, of a value grab for me because I just don't love the value of taking uh, the other quarterbacks here. I think Wilson's a reasonable one. He fits that defensive front very well. He fits the defense better than Will Anderson. He's not a better player than Will Anderson. But when you look at Will Anderson, uh, fitting him into D'Amico Ryan's system, Nick Bosa is really the... Uh, the guy that you have to look towards for ryan's experience and what he did with Bosa, he built it around bosa' skill set. Wilson is closer to Bosa than will Anderson is physically, so I think that's going to influence how they build the scheme might end up tailing you on that that just want to put
1: that out there so you mentioned c J. Stroud and Anthony Richardson, Ohio State and Florida respectively, obviously they're former schools if Either of them or one of them does fall in the first round. Again, you hit on this a little bit, teased it. Which quarterback do you think it is? And for the NFL, casual NFL fan, maybe not better so much, how do you evaluate these two quarterbacks overall?
0: Yeah, it's funny. These are actually my top two quarterbacks. So (laughs) we may see, uh, you know, so I'd say uh, Young is probably my third quarterback. And then I'd say Levis is my fourth. Uh, I think it's pretty close between them because they're just such different players. Like it's, it's hard to rank players. that are just so different stylistically. Um, but I like Stroud a lot. I think he's a high floor player. I think he's a phenomenal packet uh, pocket passer. I have worries about his full upside. I don't know that he's a playmaker enough. Um, some of the stuff that's come out throughout this draft process is a little silly to me. Like he's absolutely cerebral in the pocket. Um, I don't believe some of the stuff that's come out about you know, these S2 scores. I, we don't know anything about the S2 test. Like, I don't think it's fair for us as public people to be really speculating on things like that. We're all different learners and we all have different skill sets. Um, some of us aren't stronger at certain things than some of us are. So for me, I look at the tape and I say, this dude's smart as heck when it gets on the field. He makes amazing throws. The question is, how does he perform under pressure? And that's been hit or miss. And I think that's fair to say. But at the same time, there's a reason why you draft someone and you try to develop that you try to get them under you know more favorable circumstances, and you try to replicate what they do best, or put around them what they can do best. And so I think Stroud is is really someone that I think he should be a top five pick, and I I would even say top six, right? Like he probably shouldn't get outside of that range. I think Detroit makes a lot of sense because I would probably compare Stroud to Jared Goff. I loved Jared Goff as a prospect, and now Goff ended up being a bit of a corn cob when he's under pressure in the NFL. Uh, Stroud kind of has that same tendency. He doesn't really create consistently. Uh, but in college golf didn't really show that as much. So it's a little bit like, Oh, like maybe Stroud could be like golf plus. And you look at his contract situation. I would definitely look at like Detroit as his bottom, but I could easily see Houston still taking him. I know there's a report out there that Houston, uh, soured on him. I could still see them taking him. Cause again, we don't know what smoke screen it is. Um, Indianapolis I think he makes a lot of sense. Sounds like Chris Ballard. Really likes Anthony Richardson, which I don't blame him. So it's all these things are so convoluted that it's difficult. But I think Stroud is a really good skill set that you can build around. It's easy. Again, it's easy to see, right? Like we know what kind of offense we can build with CJ Stroud. It's a little bit different with Anthony Richardson. I love Richardson. If I had the number one pick, I'm taking Anthony Richardson. Like Stroud is my highest grade. But Richardson is the guy that to me, if you're going to bet on anybody, you got to go with upside. And it's not reckless upside. It's an upside that there's enough there. When you watch him, he's super smart in the pocket. He's a nuanced player. He's not, I think probably the best example of like someone who was the antithesis of him was Malik Willis. Like, I liked Malik Willis' skill set. Everyone liked Malik Willis' skill set. Super good athlete. But he was coming from a really simple offense. He ran into sacks consistently. His accuracy, we saw it in the NFL last year. It's it's pretty rough. He needs to be completely rebuilt. And he's three years older than Anthony Richardson. So Richardson plays at Florida. It's an aggressive two-receiver vertical offense. Of course, his completion percentage is not going to be super high. And he tends to throw the ball away over taking sacks. So again, his completion percentage is going to be a little bit lower. He's super raw. Started one season. And you can see that. Like There are times when it's like, okay, You need to rep that out. That's going to take a year or two. It's going to kind of be like Josh Allen when he came out of Wyoming at Buffalo, like Buffalo had to say, I don't care how bad you are, Josh Allen. The first two or three years, we're with you. It does not matter. We believe in you as a person and as a worker. It ended up paying off massively. And I think that Richardson can kind of have that same trajectory. I think it's going to probably be rough that first year or two, but he's such a dynamic passer of the ball. He's so good. He recognizes pressure easily. Uh, He... He does need to improve his passing motion, of course, but he's talked about that. He's talked about his footwork. He's talked about being able to work out the things that he knows he needs to work on. I think all those things, that awareness of himself really speaks well to his character and also uh, his pathway to improvement. So to me, these guys, um, if you put them in the right situation, both of them, I think, could be great players. Um, In the NFL now, you probably have eight or nine quarterbacks that can really make a difference on Sundays. Saturdays and Thursdays and Mondays and every other day that NFL football is now played. Um, But, you know, there's only a handful of those guys. I think both Richardson and Stroud have the actual skill set to get there.
1: Last draft topic before we get to Rodgers and the Jets. Devin Witherspoon, the former Illinois cornerback, expected to be the number one defensive back off the board. Come Thursday's draft, a bit different than last year with Stingley being the number one guy off the board in the first round, and his draft position for Witherspoon is sitting at six and a half. Now, the VIG is a bit dependent on the book because if you look at circus sports, they are juiced towards the over at minus 125, and a book like DraftKings has it priced at minus 115 both ways. So, how are you betting this market, Ian?
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the uh, the under here, and I think that that's that's a heavy bet, and that's a very loaded bet, and I think that it's a very pointed one, but it's one that logically, as I as I sat through this, um, it's basically saying, do you think he goes to Detroit? If you think he goes to Detroit, then you have to obviously take take the under. If you're saying the over, then you know obviously not. And it, that's a really tough specific bet, and I generally don't love those uh, because we, we're not inside the building, we don't have the intel we don't have the medicals and those things all matter. And those are the things that are out of our controls and the books controls. But the way I evaluated Witherspoon is he's a good talent. Would he be my first corner off the board? No, probably not. I'd probably take um, maybe even Joey Porter jr. I'd probably take Christian Gonzalez over him. It's not necessarily against Witherspoon. It's just his frame generally does not project to a number one corner. It's almost more like the Jair Alexander thing. It's like, Jair Alexander is really good for Green Bay, but he's a slot corner. Like Generally, they don't pay slot corners like they do number one corners on the outside. And so to me, that's a big factor. Like It's about value with the pick. But that doesn't matter to Detroit. Detroit has a a staff full of former players who were gritty players who are generally going to be drawn towards more feisty type of players. We saw it on Hard Knocks. We've seen it with the draft picks that they've made. Aiden Aiden Hutchinson was a great draft pick, but they were going to make that pick probably regardless if they had the number one pick or you know, if they if he fell to them at number 10. And so I think they look for the mindset. And to me, Devin Witherspoon has that mindset. He is really tough as nails. I love his game. I mean, from a personality standpoint, like that's exactly what you want from a defender. But from a team building perspective, it's not necessarily something I would agree with. So for me, I think he does go to Detroit. The thing I would worry about there is if Jalen Carter's on the board, does Detroit go with the better player at the more valuable position? So it's a risky pick. Um, but I think it's a reasonable, reasonably logical pick, which sometimes these work out. Sometimes they don't. <laughs> yeah. And the Okuda trade to the Falcons
1: certainly helps your position, although he did kind of bust out from what being a top five pick going back to the COVID draft. I think so that was 2020, 2020. Yeah. Yes, so We're talking yeah. three years ago and that. Need for Detroit definitely revolves around corner, even though, like you mentioned, best player available may side with Carter. But wrapping things up here, Ian, and it's been a really fun podcast. I want to go back to the big news on Monday afternoon. It's been a holdover from all the rumors over the last two or three months with Aaron Rodgers now officially a New York Jet as of Monday. The consensus price on the Jets to win the Super Bowl is, I believe, plus fourteen hundred. Keep bringing up circa, but they do have the best number available in the market at plus sixteen hundred, and it's no surprise just because of how betters operate that the Jets have received the most bets, the most tickets in the Super Bowl betting market at BetMGM, but also the odds to win the AFC East, which are right around plus two fifty. And obviously that comes with a caveat in terms of expectations for Rodgers in this Jets offense, because yes, he's paired back up with Nathaniel Hackett, who before he struggled mightily with Russell Wilson in Denver was the OC in Green Bay. But Rodgers last year with a better offensive line than what he'll have in front of him with New York has a bottom 10 or had a bottom 10 yards per pass attempt in 2022, 2023, and His drop back EPA expected points added per pass attempt also graded fairly low. So what do you make of the Jets offense evaluating Rodgers as a much older quarterback than some of these quarterback prospects that that we're talking about right now? And I believe the Jets win total is going to settle around nine and a half. So just expectations for, like I mentioned, New York in general for next season.
0: Yeah. You know, it's one of those things like I I like the trade for the Jets because I don't think they can fail in this trade. It just depends on your your expectations. If your expectations are Super Bowl, that's going to be tough. It's going to be a tough sell. Now, Rodgers might be good enough to get them there. He can't play like he did last year. But also, I think his level of play last year was influenced by his unhappiness. And so I think he's going to return a happier player. I mean, he's 39. So. You know, he was probably average last year. If he's above average this year, that's probably enough to get them um, at least into the playoffs. I would say probably over that nine and a half win total. I think that 10 wins is probably the, uh, the bar for me. But it's a razor thin margin and it's a really tough AFC East. It's a really tough AFC. Uh, betting on them to go any further than that is just going to be difficult because chances are they're going to play like the Bengals. They could play a, a Browns team. Where if Deshaun Watson is, you know, back to the guy that we've seen him be, that's going to be a pretty scary team, too. Obviously, the whole AFC East, AFC West could be a lot loaded, more loaded this year if the, if the Broncos kind of bounce back. So I have a tough time projecting them past the, the, uh, the regular season. But I do think that the offense is going to be obviously much improved. So I was looking yesterday and the Jets, in their quarterback history as a franchise, in their top 15 passers in terms of career passing yards with the franchise, one quarterback has completed at least 60% of his passes throughout his entire career with the Jets. And that's Chad Pennington. That's it. No (laughs) one else. (laughs) Like, they are astronomically bad as a franchise at having quarterbacks. So... I mean, Aaron Rodgers is going to get that like Aaron Rodgers will get there. He will be at least efficient. He'll control the ball. He won't turn it over. The question is whether he brings those explosive plays. I think with the surrounding cast, I think he will. The fact that Jets kept their first round pick this year, I think is a very good thing. It's very smart of them. They probably should have added some extra protections to that pick in 2024, maybe like a playoff escalator um, instead of just playing time, but that's kind of semantics. At the end of the day, if Rodgers plays two years for the team and he's generally solid from what we've seen, even at his worst throughout his career, he's going to be such a massive upgrade that that team's going to be super competitive every single week. Um, You know, best case is that their defense returns to the level that they were. Brees Hall is healthy. And I think if you get those two things, this is going to be a pretty strong team. It's going to keep those guys having jobs, too. And I think that's that's a, a pretty good thing for a coaching staff that you know kind of lost control at the end there. I think it was like six straight losses to end last season. So it's a good team. Um, it's going to be weird to see Rogers not be a Packer, um, but I do think he's going to be revitalized. And I think we're going to see not MVP level because I think that version of him is gone. But I do think we're going to see really almost like the stage uh, that we saw Tom Brady kind of reach with the Buccaneers where he was like masterful point guard. And I think that's a good thing for Rogers because he gets a little bit too willing to be a star and he's not that guy anymore. Like it's not even probably two or three years ago. Like he noticeably took a dip last year, I think physically, but he can still be a very good player. Even with that being said.
1: And you mentioned that defense, for New York, one of the best defenses in the NFL statistically in 2022, 2023, giving up the sixth fewest expected points added per play overall. And then you add in safety, pretty good safety from the Bucs and Jordan Whitehead and DJ Reed cornerback from Seattle. So you get some depth upgrades and a solid safety too, to add to your back seven. So a lot of upside with the Jets defensively. And the market definitely didn't like them, especially when you go back to the Broncos game last year, where I think the Broncos closed as a favorite with a backup backup quarterback. New York goes on the road to Denver wins, but then, like you mentioned, does not close the season too well, and misses the playoffs. But regardless of how well Rodgers grades out in comparison to his last season, it's still probably better than Zach Wilson. I think we could both, be in agreement with that note but Ian it's been a really fun podcast and it's been a really fun discussion on the NFL draft and just the NFL overall at large Ian Valentino you can follow him on Twitter at NFL film study again content for the pro football network and also working with gaming today a part of Katina media thank you so much for joining us today Ian. really appreciate it and good luck with your draft bets and just evaluations overall Thanks, man. Appreciate it. It's always fun. That's going to do it for this edition of Beat the Closing Line. Remember to follow the lines on Twitter at thelinesus and head over to play.thelines.com to get the latest offers and head over to thelines.com to get the latest sign up offers for a variety of sports books. The former website that I mentioned, you have a shot to win plenty of Amazon gift cards. So be sure to do so at play.thelines.com. Thanks for watching and listening. I'm Eli Herskovich. So long, everybody.